And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Good morning again, everyone. You know, that text, that's a different translation generally than we, than we read this text in. As a matter of fact, it's a, a translation that substitutes the term sin for the word offend or stumble. So the, the, uh, the text generally reads, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones, which means that word offend, it does not mean sin necessarily, but it means to cause to stumble. Putting something in the path of someone that will cause them to trip. Now obviously, in this context, it's probably talking about sinning. But, but for our purposes this morning, let's go back to the the original words in this text and talk about the fact that that Jesus is warning. He's, he's been talking about or to his disciples about who is the greatest in the kingdom. They came and asked him that question. They said, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And he took a little child, set the little child on his lap, and he said uh, that whosoever becomes as one of these little children shall enter in the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever does not, can't get in. So he was saying that the little child, the innocent child, would be the one that could enter the kingdom. He's talking about, obviously, going back to a, a different state in your life, which is a state of innocency, which would come about, of, of course, by the fact that you'd have faith in Jesus Christ, you'd believe in Him, you'd repent, you'd confess His name, and you'd be born again in baptism, you'd become a little child. Now, all of that is not contained in this because Jesus is talking to people that are not familiar with everything that's needed to become a little child. But he's telling them that they have to become a little child in order to come to him. And in, in this regard, he continues this thought. And he said, whosoever shall cause one of these little ones that believe in me to stumble... It's better for him that a millstone would be hanged about his neck and to be cast into the sea. Now, I want you to get that picture because we're going to talk about something else now in just a minute. He's, he's using some practical, obvious, solid terms that these people can understand. And, and we, as we read the New Testament, I know it's hard to go back to that, but that's where we need to be. We need to get practical. We need to understand that what Jesus is saying, he's saying to common people like us. To people that need sometimes a little bit of visual support to understand what he's referring to. So he's saying here, if you call a believer, someone who believes in me, and he hasn't died on the cross yet, he hasn't risen from the grave yet, he's just giving them a preview of what's going to happen. He's saying, if you cause one of these little ones that's following me, a believer, to stumble, 
It's better if somebody hung a big millstone around your neck and threw you in the sea. That's pretty visual, isn't it? The next one is, and he talks about a different group of people now. There are three individuals involved, or three groups of people involved here. One is Jesus himself. He's talking about following him. The other one is the, the child that follows him. And the next one is you. You, me. And there, there he says, and if, if your hand offends you, he said, cut it off. Cast it from me. It's better for you to, to enter into life maimed rather than to be cast into hell fire where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. He uses three, three examples here. The hand, cutting the hand off, cutting the foot off, and putting out the eye. And it's the same concept. Well, we're looking at something that, uh, that has a great deal of uh, severity involved in it, doesn't it? Now, that's pretty severe to have a millstone hung around your neck and cast into the sea if you offend someone who believes in Jesus Christ. And then if you do something to yourself... Now, I want you to understand, I'll help you understand, that he's not talking about, I don't think he's talking about the eternal fire of hell that we were familiar with, because that hasn't been described yet in the context of the New Testament. He describes eternal punishment later. He's talking about a fire that they were familiar with at that point. So he's using a solid example for them to look at so that they can visualize what he's, what he's referring to. He uses a highly concrete illustration to draw attention to his warning. These people were familiar with the term stumbling stone. They knew what that was. To offend someone would be to place a stone that they could stumble over in front of them that caused them to actually fall. Now, Leviticus chapter 19 at verse 14 says, Don't curse the deaf. Do not put a stumbling block before the blind. Now that was in the law, the Old Testament law. But fear the Lord your God, I am the Lord. And he says again in Ezekiel 13, or Ezekiel 14 I mean, and at verse 3 and 4, he said, Son of man, these men have set up their idols, their images, in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Put the offense, the stumbling block, he said, they put their own stumbling block in front of themselves. Now that's what he said earlier. He said, said uh, be careful that you don't put a stumbling block in front of your path. Okay. They knew that Balaam did something like this. Now you remember Balaam and Balak? When the children of Israel were coming out of Egyptian bondage, they were coming through the wilderness. And they were coming to the land of Moab. And Balak was the king of Moab at that time. And he didn't want Israel to go through their land. They were like a, a swarm of locusts. So he didn't want them there. So he called upon Balak, who he felt had the power to curse these people and, and make sure that they didn't do what they wanted to do, come through his, on his property. So he called Balak, and Balak decided, I guess, I think I'll do that. So he got on his donkey. The Bible calls it an ass. We sometimes call them a jackass. 
that's a boy one, or Jenny Ass, that's a girl. Anyway, it was a girl that he got on. He got on this beast of burden, and he started out. And an angel of the Lord stood in front of the donkey with a sword, and the donkey turned aside. She turned aside. And he, he goaded her around. He, matter of fact, he had a couple of guys with him. I guess they helped him turn her around and get her started again. Anyway, he came to another pass, and the, the, the angel Lord stood there with the sword in his hand, and the donkey turned again. And he began to curse the donkey, and pretty soon they came to a narrow place, and the donkey swerved and moved around and scraped him up a little bit, and he started whipping the donkey, beating him. He said, if I had a sword, I'd kill you. And then the donkey talked to him. God made the donkey talk to him. <laughs> Told him, yeah, I saved your life, boy, basically. And so he, Balak decided God didn't want him to curse his people. But that didn't stop Balaam. You know what he did? He set up camp outside the Israelites and set up what, would, what we would call a baudry house. A house of ill repute. He set up tents outside and set up altars outside and called upon the children of Israel, come on out and have fun, worship these idols and have a little fornication. Because that's how they that's how they worship their idols, through fornication. Okay. So Revelation two at verse fourteen says, I have a few things against you, because you have there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling stone before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit fornication. So, that's what they did. They, he, he cast a stumbling stone in front of the Israelites because he gave them an opportunity to fall into sin, obviously. Now, that's what Jesus said. If, if you do that, it'd be better if somebody tied a a stone around your neck. He was talking about a millstone. You know what a millstone is? It's that smooth stone that's got kind of a sway in the middle of it where they pounded the grain with a pestle. Anyway, he said, that's better if you, if you don't do this, better somebody tossed you in the sea. Okay. We know that that's not good. Now then he said, he's referring to the area of, of uh, what we call hell when he says, if you, it's better for you to cut off your hand and go into the kingdom of God maimed than to go into hell with two hands into, the, into Gehenna, mm -hmm. into the fires of hell. Now Gehenna, and that's what this word hell is in the text. It's from the word Gehenna. It was a valley in Henna. Henna is a valley. It was a valley that was on fire where the Israelites around Jerusalem and in Judea, through their waste. It was a dump, a trash dump. It was a place of refuge. And so they kept it burning because they could go out and dump their trash there. And he says, where the worm dies not, that means the maggots are still running around down there. Now we know if he's talking about the eternal hell, there won't be any maggots there. There won't be anything alive in that fire. But here he's talking about a fire and he's saying, it's better if you cut off your hand than, than if you were cast into that. He's talking about people that can violate the law in some way and end up finding themselves in that trash pile, being thrown in the trash pile. 
from these figures of speech then, two, two things jump out at us. First is that the gravity of the offense is gauged by the severity of the consequence. So how, how, how important is it that we make sure that we don't put something to stumble over in front of someone that's innocent, a child of God? What he's saying is don't, don't in some way in your life provoke somebody else Encourage somebody else, an innocent person, to stumble in sin. How could I do that? How could I make you sin? I can't make you sin. I couldn't make you sin. I couldn't make you do good. I can't make you do evil. But I can provide an opportunity for you to misunderstand and stumble over something that I've done. In some way, my behavior can lead you into something that's not good. Now, Romans chapter 14, verse 13, takes this subject up for us. It says, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of of itself, but to him that esteems anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if your brother be grieved with your meat, now walk you not charitably with before him. Destroy not him with your meat for whom Christ died. He's talking about idolatry. He's talking about idolatry. He's saying don't go to the idol's temple and eat that meat because your brother may see that and may follow your example. In other words, here's someone who has the right to do what he's saying he can do. You can eat that meat Here was meat offered to idols. Was it good or bad? It was neither. But if it was offered to idols and you participated in it, then it's idolatry. But the the meat itself is okay. It's grade A, USDA choice. It's okay. But if you eat it as an act of service to an idol, it will cause you to commit idolatry and you'll be in trouble. Destroy not him with your meat for whom Christ died, but not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He that in these things serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Okay. So he said, what he's saying is, you can't eat meat, this meat. You cannot commit idolatry, but you can eat the meat. But don't let your bravado cause someone who can't keep their mind off the idol to eat the meat and do it in adoration to the idol. You see? You see? Basically, that's what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3-5, through 5, he says, Some were forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meat which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. What he's saying is, meat is meat. But when you attach something else to it, it becomes something else. Okay. He said, every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. If it be received with thanksgiving, it's sanctified by the word of God prayer. So you can eat meat. You can eat meat. You can eat meat even that, that had been sacrificed for an idol until you start committing idolatry with it. The meat's okay. It's all right. But don't eat it as, as, a, as an act of adoration to an idol. He gave this same information, Paul did, uh, or Peter did, I should say. Peter had the same information given to him at one time, 
when he was told, remember he was sent to the house of Cornelius to preach mm -hmm. the gospel to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And while he was on the housetop, he was in the house of one Simon the Tanner, and he was in the housetop at Joppa, and, and the, here a great sheet was let down with all sorts of manner of beasts. Mm -hmm. And a voice said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, I can't, Lord. Nothing unclean's ever, ever entered my mouth. So Peter was attaching something else to the meat that God did not attach to it. God said, here's some meat, eat. Mm -hmm. Peter said, I'm not going to because it's unclean. It has a religious connotation to it that I can't eat it. I can't eat pork. I can't eat swine's flesh. I can't eat certain bugs. Yes, you can eat a grasshopper. If you're a child of God, you can eat grasshoppers, you can eat toads, you can eat whatever you want to, you can eat a rabbit, you can eat any kind of creature. It doesn't make any difference. There's no prohibition against it. But Peter thought there was still because it was under the Old Testament law. But that law had ceased. Mm -hmm. And so he said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. He said, What God has cleansed, don't you call common. The issue of a stumbling block as idolatry is brought up again in this text. And I want to look, I'm going to look at this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, at verse 4 through 13. He said, As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered and sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For there be that many of are called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as there be gods many lords many, but there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, we by Him. Howbeit, he said, there is not in every man that conscience. Every man doesn't know that, he said. Everybody's not aware of that. So your responsibility, basically, you make them aware of that. They're not aware of that. Some with conscience of the idols, to this hour, eat it as a thing offered to an idol. He said, so some people don't understand it. They're still committing idolatry. Their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commends us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. There's our point. We know what it is if we put something, some sort of obstacle in front of a believer to cause them to stumble and sin. We know that's wrong. We should know that. And we can do this by our behavior, by what we do, by the liberties that we take. That can happen. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 25 through 33, Paul said, Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, eat it. Don't ask any questions for your conscience sake. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, you be disposed to go. Whatsoever is set before you, eat. Don't ask any questions for conscience sake. If any man say to you, this is offered and sacrificed to an idol, he said, don't eat it. Just as soon as you attach idolatry to it, quit. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't eat it for the sake of him that showed it to you. And for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not your own, but the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? If I by the grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Whether we eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all the glory of God. Give no offense. That the word offense is the same word we've been looking at in Mark 9 and in 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans chapter 
This is the same word. It's the word stumbling block or offense. Give no word, no offense to anyone. Neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles. Okay. That prohibition can be rationally extended to a lot of things that we do in life that seem to be a liberty for us because we can control ourselves, right? I can control myself. I don't have to worry. I can take these liberties. I can do things that you as a weak Christian can't do. So, see what kind of guy I am. I'm strong in the faith. But you're not. And you see me take the liberty, and you take the liberty, and you go headlong into a dive into sin. Well, that's my problem and your problem. You see what I've done? There are a lot of things that are in this context. I think uh, the use of alcohol and drugs is a big one. You know, there are a lot of Christians that think they can just drink. They can drink alcohol socially. Because you can read it in the Bible. You can read it in the Bible. Jesus drank. Jesus turned water into wine. You know, we have, to, we have to keep in mind that the Bible doesn't actually condone that social drinking altogether. It certainly doesn't condone getting drunk. Never. Be not filled with the wine where in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit, mm-hmm. we're told. But the idea is, why, why can't I sit down with the boys in the bar and have one? Toss down a couple of beers. Who cares? What happens is, a weak Christian sees you do that, and you're not getting drunk. You say, I'm not even getting woozy, and I can even drive, and, and I can take a sobriety test, and that won't make any difference. I'm a strong Christian. I can drink. I can drink socially, and if I don't care if you see me. I can drink. But not everybody can do that. The weak Christian says, hey, if he can, I can. She can, I can. And so what happens? They drink and get drunk, and what what have they done? They sin. I put a stumbling block in front of them. That's just one point. That's the point that, to me, a Christian, to give that up, that's nothing. That's nothing. Mm. You know, alcoholics, reformed alcoholics and reformed drug addicts will tell you that they can't be around anything like that. They can't be around anybody drinking anything or anybody taking any time of drugs. They just can't be around it because it will lead them immediately because of you back into what they were before. I'm just suggesting you better think about these things when you decide you're going to take liberty because you're strong. And I think gambling is the same thing. You know, gambling is getting something for nothing. First Peter chapter 4, verse 3-4 through four says, For the time past of our life may suffice us, to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of right, speaking evil of you. That is, going to places you have no business being. And you go there, and a weak brother or sister sees you go there and think, well, if they do, I, I can. If they can, I can. Mm-hmm. And they, they can't, they don't have the same strength you have. They go and they get caught up in what's going on. All right. 
Love of money is the root of all evil. That's, that has to do with their gambling prowess. The fact that a person may cause him, themselves to stumble is unique in its concept. That's the next point. Now, we've been talking about the weak brother that stumbled, that you put a stumbling stone in front of. But did you get the main issue here? And that was if, if your hand offends you, if your hand offends you, if your hand causes you to stumble, if your foot causes you to stumble, if your eye causes you to stumble. It's not saying if it causes somebody else. How can my hand cause me to stumble? How can that, how can that be? Have you thought about that? How can my foot cause me to stumble? My eye. Well, it, it can cause... I, I, really can't, I, I really can't think of that unless I'm just drawn back into my former life, my former temptations. You know, thinking back. But, but my hand, maybe my hand's doing something it shouldn't be doing. Obviously, if I'm going to be a thief... I'm going to end up in Gehenna. I would at that time, but that's where they tossed the thieves. They tossed them over into the burning rubbish pile. That, that, was, that was a strict, very, very, very restricted society they lived in. They, they didn't wait until everything was cleared and the guilty was pronounced guilty by the jury of their peers. They, they took a thief out and, and did what they had to do to get rid of the thief. Well, the how about the foot? I'm going places that I shouldn't go. I'm seeing things that I shouldn't see. But I think more than anything else, Jesus is our personal stumbling stone. Did you know that? He's our stumbling stone. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, Blessed is he who shall not stumble over me, not be offended me. Wow, how can I be offended at Jesus? Okay, let's think of it. Let's think about the fact that uh, my hand offends me. Maybe I'm taking things I shouldn't take, stealing a little bit. Um, how about my foot? Maybe I'm going somewhere I don't shouldn't go. Maybe I'm looking at things I shouldn't look at. But basically, Jesus is saying, "Blessed is he." that is not offended in me. What I'm thinking along this line is this. Maybe Jesus is asking more of me than I want to give him. You think? He wants more of my time? Is he offensive? I've only, by the way, Lord, I've only got 168 hours a week. How much do you want? How much do you want from me? One, two, three. How many hours do you want of my time? Blessed is he that not offended me. The Lord does want something from us, doesn't he? What, what, what do you want? What do you want of what I have, Lord? What, what, what of what I have that you want? What, what do I have that maybe you're asking too much of me? Maybe I, I, I need to keep what I have. Maybe, Lord, you're, you're a you're causing me to stumble. I, I don't really, I don't really like that. I, maybe you're asking me to do too many things. Maybe you're asking too much of me. 
I've got my own business. I've got my own priorities. I've got my own things I've got to do. And you want to interfere? You want me to do something else? Somebody needs something? Brother, sister in Christ? A neighbor something? But maybe it's that's too much for me. Too much. I, I don't really want to do that. He's causing me to stumble. Jesus, as a matter of fact, Jesus wants everything. That's too much. That's too much. Everything, I'll give you some, Lord. But to take the whole thing, is that what you want? Jesus said, we have to bear our cross, pick up our cross and follow Him. You want me to, you want me to acknowledge you everywhere I go? You want me to tell everybody about you? How about just some people I feel comfortable with? I can tell them. That's okay, because they, they understand me. They know me. I just, I'll, I'll tell them. No, Lord, he, he wants me to tell everybody. Well, that's probably a little too much. A little too much. I'm worried about this, really. I'm worried that, that, that when we talk about the Lord and what he's asking us, asking of us, he's asking me to consider somebody else above myself. The Lord wants me to be a servant. To whom? To my fellow man to my friends, my neighbors, and especially to my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what he wants from me. Lord, can I do that? Mm-hmm. Well, if I don't, if I don't come to grips with this, with the duties and responsibilities that I have toward you, I have a responsibility as a Christian not to disappoint you. Not to upset you, not to lead you into some something that's wrong, but to encourage you. Not to if I discourage you, the Lord said, Bill, you can't do that. Because if you do it unto them, you're doing it to me. Mm-hmm. There's our problem, isn't it? Okay. Blessed is he that has not offended me. I don't believe you would want to be offended in Jesus Christ at all. I know I don't. Let's make sure that we don't have stumbling blocks in front of the weak and we don't put one right in front of our own path and decide that maybe Jesus is asking too much of us to serve him. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation.